Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. Here's our scripture today. We have two, um, Romans 12, 1 through 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Uh, our next verse comes from Matthew 4:17, just one. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good job. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Um, Father, we just ask for you to come. Come speak to us, Father. Father, come, and as we're talking about the renewed mind, Father, we pray that today you would come and just do just that, that you would help us see the perspective of your kingdom and your work in the world. Um, Father, help us with the views and the perspectives that we have, the prejudices that we have, the way we think things should go in the world. And Father, most of all, send your spirit. We love you. Amen. Hey, so quick question, as I always do, I like to ask a question to make us think. Because Jesus asked a lot of questions. In fact, it was what he was great at doing. So I like to try my hand at it. I'm not as good as Jesus at asking questions. I was. I was. It never worked out well for me, which I don't think it worked out well for him either And asking questions. But he is better than me at it. So the quick question I have for us to ponder, I'll give you about five or ten seconds. Is If I were to ask you, or if you were to answer me, what is the thing in your life that is hemming you up or holding you up? What's, what's that one thing, if it was removed, you feel like life would go just better overall? Um, You may be thinking about what is making you feel anxious or defeated in life. Um, You may be thinking something like that. Um, You may say your job, and that's a really good answer. Um, You may say, hey, I have questions about faith in God. That's also a really good answer. Um, But whenever we look in the New Testament, you will find, or I like to look at what Jesus talked about a lot and how he interacted with people, because Jesus is pretty good at pointing out what is hemming us up in life, or at least he is to me. He knows how to point that thing out in my life that is a wall or a struggle between me and him, or me entering more purpose in my life. And these are just a few facts I want to throw out to you about Jesus in the New Testament. Um, The big cultural issue of Jesus' day was remarriage and divorce. Do you guys know how many times Jesus talked about it? willfully zero times when he was asked once the only time he ever answered that question 
we kind of major on that topic. Do you guys want to know the topic Jesus talked about the most? And what we hardly ever talk about? Money. 67 times in the New Testament, Jesus refers to money. And that is interesting. And I think it's interesting because the message of Jesus is he wants us to be free people. He, come that, he came so that we could have life and have life to the full. So Jesus is going to talk about the things that are hemming people up and that are putting people in bondage. And I think security and money making people anxious in life and worrying about where their next meal or next piece of clothing or how they're going to be taken care of. Jesus understood that that would hem people up in life. So he talked about it 67 times. Um, I feel like we have to talk about that more, but not today. That's not what this sermon is about. <laughs> um, that's for Lindsay to do. I'm just the associate, guys. I promise you. I'm not jumping into that at all. Um, so, uh, but what we are going to talk today is about perspectives. Um, we're about to jump back into our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Sermon. And I want to make sure whenever we look at life and look at things that we're looking from the right perspectives. Because our perspectives and stories shape our lives and behaviors. Uh, we are shaped and formed by our perspectives and stories. And to quote a guy by the name of James Bryan Smith, he says, Our stories once in place determine much of our behavior without regard, now listen to this, to their accuracy or helpfulness. Jesus has a quote, and he has, as you believe, and I only can quote it in the King James because for some reason that's the only uh, you know, scripture or version of the Bible that I know this, but as you believe, be it unto you. And that was more of a challenge. Jesus was challenging the way they believed because Jesus was like, as you believe, you will do. As you believe, you will have expectations upon that. So as you believe, be it unto you. The right story or way to see the world isn't important because when we get to heaven, God is going to give us a quiz at the gates um, to decide whether or not we can come in. It's important because it provides the way for our journey here in life. It's like the canvas for the painting. Um, story gives purpose, and purpose does wonderful things in our lives. It provides the motivation to learn. Um, when people have purpose, retention rates soar because now we have a reason to grow and learn. Our perspectives and the way we think about life in the world are vital to our formation and what we actually experience in life. Um, I, wrote, I have a story I'm going to tell you guys today, but now I'm going to tell it. I'm terribly embarrassed by it. But here we go. Lindsay knows the story. Um, whenever I was younger, I got up real early in the morning. Like, guys, I was like seven years old like 4.30 in the morning, like we do. I was hungry, so I went to the kitchen. I went to the refrigerator. We had leftover KFC. So I went in there. I grabbed a cold chicken leg, ate it, and fell asleep on the couch. Um, next thing I know, I had my parents waking me up about uh, 7 o'clock and being like, hey, call the doctor to see if we can get him in. And as a 7-year-old, I'm like, what is going on? And my parents say, you have chicken pox. Now, here's what I know. Deduction. At 4.30 in the morning, before I ate KFC chicken, I did not have chicken pox. <laughs> After I ate the leftover KFC chicken and was woken up, I had chicken pox. So let me tell you 
they're my correlation and experience as a seven-year-old that I told everyone at school, I got, K- I got chicken pox from eating leftover KFC chicken. Here's the truth. I don't know how long I believed that, but I'm sure it was a long time because I'm a little bit of an ignorant person sometimes. Um, I believe uh, false things very easily. Now, obviously, once I got older, my perspective of life and knowledge of biology got a little bit better overall. Um, I realized you did not get chicken pox from KFC chicken. But that was, for me, a reality, right? The correlation matched up, but it wasn't true. And for a while, I believed the perspective in my life and proclaimed one that just wasn't true. I was completely living out of a false reality about KFC giving you chicken pox. All right. Now you guys know that about me. You're welcome. Um, And the scripture that Lindsay read today is telling, and Jesus told us to repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus did say, hey, repent of your sins. But what Jesus meant was change the way you're thinking about life. Because my kingdom is here. The kingdom of God is the perspective you guys don't have yet. You haven't been living life to the full, and you haven't been living in accordance to the fullness of my message. So follow me. Change the way you think about life. You are invited into this journey. That's basically what Jesus was saying there. Change the way that you think. And that's important because... There are ways that you and I were raised, stories in which the world and culture has embedded into our brains about the way life is supposed to be. And Jesus is saying the ways previously thought about life are wrong. And you guys have been living out of a false story, a false view of me. And then in Romans 12, it states, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so what Paul does, he, he correlates with the way we think affecting our behavior. And so it's really, really important that we know what we believe, what perspective we're looking at God from. Is it true? Is it a false reality? Are we believing that we're getting chicken pox from cold KFC chicken? And Jesus is asking us and inviting into us, and Paul is, to this process of renewing our minds. I don't know you. I don't know about you guys, but Romans 12, 1 through 2, whenever I became a Christian, uh, was always about surrendering your body. Surrender your body. Surrender your body. Do that. And I would go to Jesus and be like, Jesus, here's my body. I'm giving you all sincerely as I could be, but it never actually worked for me. And that's because I didn't understand Romans 2. That for my body to come in subjection to Christ, my mind had to change. I had to grow. I had to learn the perspective of what God wanted. And so Harvard theologian Christer Christer Stendhal says this. It's not so much what we do not know, but what we think we know. That obstructs our vision and eventually cripples us. If we were honest and teachable about what we do not know tentative and explorative about what we think we know and humble and responsible with what we do know, the world would be a different place. 
What Jesus did and taught provoked the prejudice and presumption and pride of the Jewish leaders of their day. They opposed him at every turn on the basis of what they thought they knew about what God could do or could not do. This blinded them to the time of God's visitation, causing them to to reject and oppose the salvation God offered in Jesus. They thought they knew it all, but their knowledge destroyed them. And that's a sobering thing. They were hemmed in by what they thought they knew about God. Pastor Aaron Nequest posted this on Instagram the other day, and it is so true. He said, many of my regrets, many of my regrets are from jumping to certainty about, about that which I was only beginning to understand. Right? He said, my, many of my regrets are from jumping to certainty about that which I was only beginning to understand. And then he put, curiosity is greater than certainty. Um, and I don't know about you guys. I've been following Jesus for only 13 years. Some of you guys have been doing this a lot longer than me, but I've held some views in my days. Um, I'm going to tell on myself here. Um, early in my Christian life, um, I did not believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. As you guys know now, I'm a raging charismatic. Um, <laughs> as all get it out. Um, I came to know Jesus in a KJV-only church. That's why, as you believe, be it unto you, right? Um, Now I believe the Message Bible is just as inspired. Um, I'm going to go on. Um, I, I at one point, did not believe that women could pastor or preach, and now look at me. (laughs) I work for one. How the mighty have fallen. And, like, I don't know about you guys, but I once believed free will, then Calvinism, then free will, then Calvinism, and then I hopped back to free will, and then I went back to Calvinism, and now, hit me on whatever day I am, guys. Whatever topic you want to talk about, it changes moment to moment. Um, I'm still hopping back and forth about that one. Um, And I'm sure some of you have been down that road, too. Um, And if you have been down that road, and you have felt like you've switched what you believed on and off again, I think that's what Jesus is looking for in people. Jesus was always looking for seekers or curious people. Jesus spent and invested in the people who were not the brightest, who were not the most influential, but those who would ask questions. That's who he would engage with. Um, Jesus would normally tell a story a parable, which is really hard to understand. Like, it was so hard to understand, he would then have to turn around and explain it to his disciples. The reason why I think Jesus did that was not because he was trying to veil truth from people, but that he was trying to figure out, who's going to ask the question? Where are my seekers at? Because Jesus really did not invest in people who didn't seek. Those who did not seek him or ask questions, he didn't really invest heavily at all into them. And those who were critical about what he was saying, he had to fight. But those seekers, they asked questions. And Jesus knew if he could get them to seek, if he could get them to ask questions, it's going to take care of itself. These guys are going to find him. And so I want us to look at a a parable real quick that I think is the thing that hems us up the most and our life of faith, whenever it comes to our faith, living out our faith with God. 
And so I'm going to explain it. I'll jump into the verses whenever we get to the point I want to use. But there's this story, and I have a whole sermon for this, which I would love to preach on try sometime, maybe later. But specifically, have you guys ever heard of the parable of the talents or the bags of gold? Jesus, and Jesus tells a story that the kingdom of God is like a, a master who hired these servants. He gave one five bags of gold. He gave another two bags of gold. He gave one one bag of gold. The one with five bags of gold went and invested. I don't know what he did, whether he gambled or did something. I don't know how, but he got double back. The one with two went and invested. He got two back. The one who got one went and dug it in a hole and did nothing. And then Jesus comes back, he looks at the one who got the five bags, and he goes, good and faithful servant, I'll give you more. The one that had two invested got double back, said, good and faithful servant, I'll give you more. Then the one who buried his bag, Jesus said this. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came, master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. And he said that with a question mark. Meaning he wasn't agreeing with that. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Not that he was looking for a double. He was like, I just wished you would have done something instead of nothing. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. And then Jesus ends with, I'll throw the worthless servant outside in the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He ends that one really, really good, which I still have questions about the ending. But what I want to ask is, what was the man's issue with going forward and doing something? What stopped him? His view of the master. That he was sowed where, where he had not sown. He was reaping what he didn't read. That he was a hard man. And listen to me, church. How you think about God and how he sees you will determine your life. It will determine what you do. The biggest hindrance in life that will hem us from living our life to the fullest is the ideas you have about God and how he relates to you. That's why we have preached identity so much. It's why we have gone back to Colossians month after month. Because only when you are rooted and grounded in the love of God and what he purchased for you will you find true freedom and life to the fullest. Not just when you get to heaven, but here and now. The state of grace and God's love towards us, it's a state in which people are free. Miracles happen. People thrive. We are released in the purpose in which the circumstances of our life don't determine our identity or the course of our life. I used to believe in a gospel that God was always fussy and upset, that God was always mad. If you got sick, God was mad at you. If COVID came into the world, it was the judgment of God on you. Um, I remember a lot earlier in my days when I was a new Christian, I didn't know anything at all about God, and I would hear people talk about 9-11 and how that was judgment of God on Amer- Amer- America. 
or that California is going to have a big earthquake and fall off into the ocean because of the wickedness and sin there. Uh, but I find in the story, whenever I look at the life of Jesus, now guys, a renewed mind looks at Jesus and says, does that fit the bill? And I don't know about you guys, when I see Jesus come to earth, I didn't see him thinking, huh, here's a disease. No, he healed disease. He never gave disease. Whenever a tower fell upon a whole town and they're asking Jesus, was that because of their sin? Jesus is like, no. Right? Jesus and his life, as a pastor that I love says, I won't say his name because people do have issues with him. I have issues with him in some instance. It's Bill Johnson of Bethel Church. Have fun with it. Um, <laughs> but basically, here's what Bill Johnson says. He says, Jesus is perfect theology. And he says, when we look at the life of Jesus, we look how Jesus responds to sin. Which, if you look how Jesus responded to sin, religious hypocrisy, a lot. Sin itself rarely called it out in people. That was just by bystanders. The one he did, and we're all probably thinking of the woman caught in adultery. Think of the story. He looked at her and says, after they all leave, who condemns you? No one. Well, I don't. So get up and sin no more. And we go, ha, right there, the sin no more part. He's really hammering at home. Or maybe he's just like, hey, they're trying to stone you. This behavior is making them want to stone you to hurt you. I care about you. So don't do it anymore. They're trying to hurt you. Like Jesus was really walking around with a big stick towards people living in the world who were apart from him. But he was always going to parties and showing up and loving people. And he was rarely alarming to those who did not know him or know God. They felt invited into his presence, especially if you were curious. You loved him. And I always thought Jesus was disappointed in my lack of commitment. I always thought Jesus was like, man, Chad's trying real hard. But he's messing up. And that gospel, guys, the fussy God gospel, never, ever allowed me to be intimate with him. Because what's the purpose? But a God who loves me, who I have identity and righteousness through his blood, because his blood is not only sufficient to get me to heaven, it's sufficient here and now. And if the blood of Jesus is sufficient, when God looks at me, he doesn't see sinner, he sees son. He sees righteousness. He sees Christ's imputed righteousness. And I wish I could tell you that that came overnight to me. It, it didn't. I've had to continue to renew my mind. I've had to continue to wake up. I had a stretch where I would wake up one morning and I would say, God, I thank you. Even when I did not feel it, I would say, God, I thank you that I am holy and blameless in your sight and above reproach. And I would sit there with it. And I had to renew my mind. Because while I may know the fact, I may not have that full revelation of it in my life. And I'm seeking it every single day. I'm working it into my life. So I want to give you one. Uh, this is a personal story of where it hemmed me in in life. It's a fun one. Um, so back in April, I decided to go to a conference. I was praying for months about, I just, I have times where I just pray. I just want more of Jesus. Like, simply, I just want more of him. And so I go to places. I will pay tickets. I will buy a hotel and go to places that I know there's going to be more of Jesus there. 
And there was a guy I love. He's, he's an old vineyard guy. His name is Randy Clark. He was having a conference. And on the second day of that conference, he was going to pray for people. And he's just real gifted. The Holy Spirit just kind of shows up when, whenever he does that. Um, and he's just real above reproach person, real humble ministry, which I just really love. And so I went. The first night was great, but I was looking forward to that second day. And I get in there. I'm ready for I'm expectation. Um, as you know, crazy charismatic up here. And, and I'm in the middle of that message. My expectation is high. How I experienced the Holy Spirit. And what's guys, I, I want to say this. You guys have heard me talk about my experiences, how I react some ways in a physical way. I don't want to say that doesn't mean I'm up here and you guys are down here because you don't experience that. That's just the way God speaks to me and moves on me. So don't let that hinder you at all whenever you hear these stories by me. And so I'm up there, and I'm praying. I'm in the middle of that service, and this thought comes to my mind out of the blue. And it was, you don't deserve this. Don't you remember your sin? All the reasons why I did not deserve what I was seeking for came to my mind. And I wanted to get up and leave in that moment. I was like, no, you're right. And, and here's the thing. Satan doesn't have to use lies. He kind of knows what we do. And we know what we do. And so he'll use truth, and if truth doesn't work, he'll sometimes twin, twins truth a tad bit. He'll lie about, about it. It's still true, but it's kind of a lie too. And so I'm there thinking, I just probably need to go repent. And guys, this is April. I've been walking in identity for a long time. I feel like I'm pretty firm in it. And I'm like, I just need to get up and leave. I'm not going to get what I've been seeking from God. But I decided to stay. I was like, okay, he's going to have his little talk, and then I'm going to get up and leave. Um, and so he has that. He starts praying, and I feel the Holy Spirit like I normally do. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to chill out here now. I'm just going to wait and see what happens. He prays. He asks the Holy Spirit to come. He's looking around the room. Specifically, where I am over there, I see him look over there, and he goes, all right, our ministry team's going to start praying for people. I'm specifically going over to this side of the room because I see the Lord's doing something over here. And I know it. The Holy Spirit is showing up like he shows up to me on my body. I know he can see it. And how that looked at that time, just so you guys know how ridiculous this is, it's my hands wouldn't stop moving like this, like it was shaking. I was like, oh, no. So I'm there like this. I'm like, I look like an idiot in front of everyone. Jesus, why do you do this to me? This is weird. I'm not sure what this is useful for. And he's coming down the road. He's praying for people. And he gets to me. And he lays his hand on his shoulder, on my shoulder like this. And he goes, Lord, fill him. And for you guys in that moment, here's the deal. I've never fell down before in my life. But what happened? <laughs> like, it was, Lord, fill, pow. Chad's down in his chair shaking like this at this point. I tried to stop my hands from shaking in a moment, so I put them together, and my hands just started doing this. And I'm like, Jesus, this is super weird. Why? And, like, um, and the speaker just goes, hey, don't be weirded out by this. This is a baptism of love. And then he just goes on. And in that moment, was there some super revelation of God for me? No. The way I react, and you may be thinking, I hope that never happens to me. I hope it never happens to you either. <laughs> Just kidding. I secretly do. 
Um, but in that moment, it was God saying, I see you, I know you, and you're good enough. And I almost let a false reality of God him in what he wanted to give me. And I want to ask you today, as we end here, the band can come on up. What's that you've been wanting from God? And what's that that you think has been hemming you in? I don't know about you guys. When I can think of stuff that's hemming me in, um, I can probably list 20 things in 10 seconds. And so what I kind of feel like the Lord wants to do today is he just wants us to lay those things down, those questions that we have. There's things that we think are hemming us in in life that are stopping us and separating us from God because in reality, on God's watch, nothing is separating us from him. It's just us, and we're allowing it to. And normally at a time like this, the devil will sneak in and say, you don't deserve it. You know what you've done. You know your record. You are a addict, or you were a divorcee, or you were this, or you were that, and Jesus speaks none of that over your life. So that's not his voice. And so a renewed mind guy simply goes to Scripture, looks at the life of Jesus, and looks at how he responds to all these things, looks at what he majors on, looks at what he speaks about, and then we grow into it. And so I want to take a moment right now, and I just want to lead you guys in this practice. Right now, I want you to go to Jesus, that one thing that you identified that may hem you in in life, that may hem you in in your faith and your experience of him. I want you to give it to him. So take a few moments. Talk to him.